0: If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. This is the beginning of our series going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're calling it Through the Eyes of Jesus and Seeing Life Through His Perspective. You know, in the U.S. we kind of have a colloqu- colloquialism and it uh, speaks about walking a mile in someone's shoes. In other words, people say that it's hard to, to make a judgment against that person or what they do unless you've walked a mile in their shoes But so what we want to do is see life from Jesus' perspective. And for those of you who have studied the Sermon on the Mount, you may agree with me that there has been no passage in the Bible that has been more transformative for my character and my walk with Jesus and my my just just view on life and interacting with people than the Sermon on the Mount. And I would ask special prayer from you for myself, as we go through this, this will carry us through around March of next year. So if you want to get a head start, I would encourage you as often as you can read Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. This passage is so, so important. We know that all of Scripture is Scripture. But just for me personally, Jesus deals with everything from from hot topics such as divorce, to anger, to lust how you pray for people. I mean, he covers the whole gamut of life. And honestly, a lot of us, if we read Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, we come away sometimes a little bit confused because Jesus's words are so revolutionary to the way that most of us have been raised and the way that most of us actually think. Before we jump into the text, I, I, I want to Ask a question here, and we can just be honest. Can we be honest in church? Y'all okay with that? It should be expected that we're honest everywhere as followers of Jesus. You know, sometimes you hear people say, Well, I can't tell a lie, I'm within church. What does that mean? That means that, buddy, once that person walks out the door, watch your wallet. Alright? That's that. This is not the church, this is where we meet and we praise God for this building. Amen? Air conditioning, and we can, we can warm it up in the in the winter. And by the way, if you see any people walking around like zombies or they don't know what's going on, it's because uh, we we put in the uh, we're putting in the sound desk. If y'all haven't noticed that back there, we're going to create. Uh, I'm not going to. I don't. I'm, I don't know anything about it. But our our carpenters and workers they're going to build a. Uh, an extension there so they'll be able to sit up to see over um, the rail and they're going to be able to control the sound and the video back there. It's going to be great. And we appreciate the guys in this church who have donated so much of your time already. Amen, everybody. I mean, to come on a Saturday and come on your time off to do stuff like that, it's a work in progress. But if you noticed, the back pew is not there anymore. And if you want to throw people off in a Baptist church, you remove one of the back pews. I mean, people don't know what's going on, but that's going to be, uh, that's going to be donated and it's going to be used for God's glory, but that's just an FYI back there. But here is the question. How many of you honestly would say that you are afraid of heights? Let me, let me me see your hand. It's okay. It's okay. I I get a little knee shaking when I get up to a certain degree, alright? I want you to think about how you would feel if you were over 128,000 feet off of planet Earth. About 24 miles up. Well, those of you that cover extreme sports know that October, October 14th, 2012, an Austrian named Felix Bumgardner, broke the record for a free dive fall and he pulled his parachute. He survived. We're very glad about that. But Red Bull sponsored it. And by the way, Red Bull is created by Austrians. So maybe if you're willing to jump 128,000 feet out of a hot air balloon space shuttle spacecraft thing, you'll also create a drink that will help you stay up. And all of our Red Bull fans said... All right, okay, so we'll just go on about that. Be careful with the energy drinks. But I looked it up and he got over 843.6 miles per hour. He actually broke the sound barrier. Now, can you imagine, Stan, you can go look it up. I think it has 34, 36 million views on YouTube. You float up in this hot air balloon or whatever it was and you get out of the atmosphere. And I don't know about you, but it wouldn't have to take me very long floating up to say... What was I smoking? I mean, did somebody put something in my Dr. Pepper? What is going on? And he's up there and you see the video and, and Felix Baumgartner is looking basically from space and he's going to jump off. Let me tell you what he said. He said, you know, this first one, you got to kind of have a dry sense of humor, maybe a German sense of humor. I don't know how to kind of get it. He says, quote, it was harder than I expected. Really? Really? Some of y'all won't get that, but those of y'all that are just deeply inside dry, I mean dry, that that major day right there. 43 years old, he said, quote, it was harder than I expected. Trust me, when you stand up there on top of the world, you become so, check this, humble. It's not about breaking records anymore. It's not about getting scientific data. It's all about coming And through this series, what we want to do through the power of God's Spirit is get up above the fog, get up above the the, just the southern sayings that we hear, get up above what the left and the right and the central politically tell us we should think and relate to each other, and we want to get up above and see life from Jesus' perspective. And what we're going to see this morning is that this is a statement by Matthew Henry that's in your notes. He's a great Bible commentator. He lived several hundred years ago. He said, quote, those who would build high must begin low. Y'all catch that? Those who would build high must begin low. And Jesus... He finishes in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, with the illustration that some of you are familiar with, with building your house on the sand or on the rock. So he's talking about building the structure, but notice that Jesus begins, as we'll see in just a few moments, he begins from the very, the very bottom of the bucket. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Follow with me. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, here's our verse for today, Blessed are the what, church? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. As we begin this, I just want to put in, put a thought in your mind that a lot of what we will cover will clash with what what most of us think about life. It just does. Jesus was radical in that time. Jesus' words are still radical today. But I want you to think about being that, I can't even, I cannot even conceive 128,100 feet above planet earth And when you're there, when you're above everyone, he says, it makes you feel so humble. And what we want to do in this series, what Jesus is driving at with the very first beatitude, the very first verse where he gets to the point here, is he's literally saying, blessed are you when you are poor in spirit when we look down from God's view and we see ourselves as we truly are, when we see every angle, every crevice, every wrinkle, every back closet, every skeleton in the closets, everything that we have done, everything that we are, every selfish motive, and yet we see it from God's perspective and that God chose to send His Son Jesus to this earth to become one of us, it should empty our spirit's of arrogance and selfishness. It should empty us of how is that going to benefit me? It should cause us to say I'm willing to risk everything for the cause of Jesus Christ if I am what He knows that I am. If He can see me from every which angle and yet He still chose to love me. Not because I was lovable, but because He is love, And that changes my perspective on people. The people that are so draining The people that it seems like they're the cold water committee. I know that's an old Baptist joke for some of you. The people that they believe that they're calling in life is to make you humble. With those people, Jesus says, blessed are you when you are poor in spirit. So we're going to march through what this means. In the back of your mind, I want you to think, how can I apply this within the context of my friend's So the first question that comes to us here in this text, and if you want to follow along with us, the outline is there uh, so that you can take notes. The first question is simply, what is being blessed? The answer is that being blessed, according to God's word, is being favored by God. It is an undeserved favor. It is literally God's protection of you and his provision for you when you come into a covenant relationship with him. In the Old Testament, when they would make covenants, they were not like contracts. Have you all ever uh, heard or seen, <laughs> they call it the, uh, the fine print? So, some of us, when we, we read contracts, we're thinking, I, don't, I didn't know that printers could print that small, right? got to get a magnifying glass out to see what's in the fine print so that it won't be like you're going to pay for this product, but yet if you don't read the fine print, then they're going to get to take away your house and your dog if you eat McDonald's instead of Burger King or vice versa. Just some weird thing. We're always having to watch our back in a legal sense. But in Jesus' day, in the Old Testament time, when you were in a covenant, you were in it for life. If someone goes to war against you, the person that's in covenant with you will go to war with you against them. The person will protect you. It means that a covenant was a blood covenant. I mean, it was nailed down. Contracts, you can revoke contracts. Right? And we hear about that all the time. You know, a contract has been canceled, you know, and you know, we have some professional athletes, and I know our, our society values that, and that is a byproduct of a free society, but, you know, he's getting paid $10 million and just can't seem to provide for his family with that. So he breaks the contract and goes with, you know, $15 million. And you're like, dude, hook me up with a mill. I, I, I can do that. I can swing that, you know. And so, so when we're speaking of being blessed, it speaks of God's hand of favor is upon you. Now, Jesus uses a word in the Greek language, and the word is makarios. We don't do this very often, but I thought it may be cool. We can all say a Greek word. Y'all ready for that? Class experiment. On three, we'll say makarios. Y'all ready? One, two, three. Makarios. You just spoke Greek. Some of y'all are like, I ain't doing it. All right, got to work on you. I ain't doing it. All right. So, makarios, it literally means to be favored by God. Now, in the Greek language, and some of you are like, dude, I, I'm already born. All right, stay with me. In the Greek language, there is another word for happiness called eudaimonia, and that literally means that you're happy because you have good circumstances. Notice that Jesus did not use the word for happiness, eudaimonia, but he chose the word makarios, which means blessed by God. This should shatter for some of us the cultural idea that the point of life is to be happy. And what most people mean when they say that is I want to have a good job, good health, a good spouse, good kids, a good dog, and therefore I'm happy. God's Word says that that's a false advertisement because all of those things can be taken away. Ever thought about it? I'm not trying to be the Debbie Downer here, the cold water committee, but everything other than Jesus Christ can be taken away from us. We've all known people that were healthy one day, sick the next. We've all known one, people who it seemed everything's going well in the family, and the next day there's massive, massive problems. Jesus is the only Person, The only foundation that is truly stable. So the good news is that if you plant your life on Jesus Christ, you will be battered by the storms of this world. Circumstances may change. You may experience, say, God, I, I'm a widow. I'm a widower. Someone left me. My, chi- my children are experiencing problems. I'm having difficulty paying my bills. But Jesus will never leave you. And if you've been saved, you have been blessed by God. Because when it's all stripped away and we stand before the judgment throne of Christ, the only thing that will matter is if we have been truly saved. So it means to be favored by God. So how does being blessed differ from being happy? Happiness is dependent upon circumstances whereas being blessed is to be favored by God, check this out, who is sovereign over all circumstances. So go with me on this. If we live our life trying to accumulate things to be happy, and those things can be taken away, that's not even smart. But Jesus says, follow Me, humble yourself, become born again, follow after Me, and through that, check this out, you're following the One, the Son of God, who is sovereign over those circumstances. So that means even when everything goes south and it goes down the tubes, God is still sovereign. That means that when circumstances are absolutely bad, I've talked to some some students. You know, especially when I was a student pastor, they say, "Man, Jeff, life just life just." And I'm going to speak English this morning. Life sucks. They are raised in a family that there's alcoholic dad or the dad is not there. There is fighting within the family. And by the way, if that offends you, that's the real world. You go talk to some of these kids to where their families are involved in all sorts of things and they go home and some of us go, went home and we were growing up and mom and dad is there to help us and to pray for us and to tell us go do a good job in school and their families do nothing but But spit judgment and hate, and destroy any chance that those children have to do well. And then we inside the church want to blame the no, sir. We should be fathers to the fatherless. We should be mothers to those who have no mother. Y'all all right? And for those people, and you may be one, when circumstances of life, you say, Jeff, it seems like it's spiraling out of control. Jesus says, if you empty your spirit of selfishness and you come to me in humility and you are poor in spirit, then I will fill you up with my spirit and you are serving the one who is sovereign over circumstances. So what does being poor in spirit actually mean? You know, it's, it's an attitude of humility that saturates how you live and how you view life. Into where you recognize your lack of righteousness and your need for a Savior. It is consciously and purposefully acknowledging to God that you can't be good enough. Have we beat this dead horse long enough in the South that getting into heaven is not an issue of being a good person? I hear it all the time. Well, I'm just trying to do better. It's not about doing better. Being saved and being poor in spirit is to realize that there's nothing that we could ever do to counteract the balance of sin, but we come to Jesus and we repent of it and ask Him to be Lord of our life. A good example of this is the Philippian jailer. Remember Paul and Silas, they've been tortured. They're in jail. And this is before Elvis' jailhouse rock. This was the original one. Elvis actually stole it. Some of y'all Elvis fans, alright? They're there. They've been tortured. And then God sends a supernatural event. The whole jail shook. There was an earthquake and all of the chains fell off of Paul and Silas and all the prisoners. The doors opened up. And if you were the jailer overseeing the torture, you might say, Oh, no. Maybe. Something like that. And the Philippian jailer comes to... See, some of y'all are tracking with me. Some are like, I don't know what... Yes, you do. You totally do. He comes and he comes to Paul and Silas and he kneels down, this Philippian jailer, this pagan, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is when you kneel down before God and you say, by the way, God, the way we're going to do this is I will have, I will have a special baptism. I will not be humiliated being baptized in front of all of those people on Sunday morning. In fact, what we will do, I'm not going to walk down during the invitation. I'm going to have my own thing because you see, I have my set of agenda. You don't come to God that way. You come to God saying, Sir, Lord, King, Boss, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul in love and gentleness said, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust and you will be saved. It's what it means to be poor in spirit. It's the opposite of what we studied last week. Remember Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus is talking about the children and the, the, the apostles there? They were talking about, the disciples were talking about which one is the greatest. Who is the greatest? A bunch of little Muhammad Ali wannabes. And Jesus called the the little child and said, Unless you become like one of these, you will enter into the heaven. You will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Literally, what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying it's the opposite of what the world considers to be great. The world says, If you can make a name for yourself, and if you can be awesome, awesome. We use that word all the time, right? It almost loses some of its awesomeness. The world wants you to be awesome, but when you, when you come to Jesus and you're poor in spirit, you say, Jesus, you're the one who's awesome. Guess what that does? That frees you from having to be awesome. Because your life is about Jesus and helping people see that He is awesome. And guess what? Because He is in you and because He saves you and He's indwelling you, He is in charge of your life. Therefore, because of Christ, you can do all things through Him who gives you strength, and that, I don't care who you are, is awesome. But it begins with emptying our spirit of self. Another question you say, Jeff, why is being poor in spirit important? Why is that a big deal? Here's the reason why. Because when you humble yourself before God, it opens up the floodgates of God's blessing Whereas if you hold on to pride, into bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment towards another person or a situation, what will happen is that will that will dam up. It will block up God's blessings in your life, and not only that, it will breed spiritual disease. Have you talked to someone before and they really think a lot of themselves? Uh huh yeah See, so see we all have I mean you talk to that person and basically you don't you want to say this you don't say it but you want to say you know what you don't want to have a conversation with me you just want to have a time for you to tell me how awesome you actually are so let's just go ahead and get out of the way I think that you are awesome are you happy now? hey everybody so and so they are great better than everybody else right here you don't want to do that because then you'd lose a friend and people think you're a jerk right? So we have those conversations. You say, Jeff, how do I know I'm that guy? How do I know I'm that girl? Okay. Theological point here. Do We understand that Satan has zero humility. Zero. Remember in the beginning, Satan wanted God's job. The job was not available. Satan rebelled. God cast Satan out of heaven. Satan has total pride to where he says, if I cannot be the one who is... Recognized, and the one who is in charge, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Time out. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. The way that you gauge your life, you pull out the Geiger counter to see if there's the radiation of pride there. Um, it's this. Whether you participate or don't participate in a Jesus-centered gospel ministry based upon how that inconveniences you. It's the the, the place that we come to to say, I don't want to do that because I'm too busy. I don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable for me. Are we all okay in here? Are we all have a good time when it's the funny part of the sermon, when it gets down to the gut level stuff, it's just like this, this cloud of, whoa, he went there again. We have to. If we follow Christ, we have to not just accept when God gives us those jobs to do. Have you ever seen the show Dirty Jobs? Those jobs that a lot of people don't want to do because it's it's dirty and it's, it's tough, it's nasty, it's annoying. If we follow Jesus, go with me, if we follow Jesus, He took on the dirtiest job ever. Becoming sin for sinners, suffering for the guilty. But yet if I follow Jesus, I should voluntarily look for ways that I can humble myself and empty myself of Jeff. Let me give you a couple of texts to write down. Psalm chapter 40, verse 17. The Bible says, "As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God." Isaiah chapter 40 verse 17. "When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will forsake them." If you study church history, Christian history, there's a great preacher that lives several hundred years after Jesus. His name is John Chrysostom. I'm, I don't do a lot of reading from the pulpit, but there's a short snippet. And I want you to, to go with me on this thought to where he asked the question, what are you afraid of losing if you humble yourself? What are you afraid of losing if you humble yourself? Listen to what he says. Speaking of Jesus' humble sacrifice and what Jesus brought, John Chrysostom writes, Jesus erased the curse. He triumphed over death. He opened paradise. He struck down sin. He opened wide the vaults of the sky. He lifted our first fruits to heaven. He filled the whole world with godliness. He drove out error. He led back the truth. He made our first fruits mount to the royal throne. He accompanied, he accomplished so many good deeds that neither I or all humanity could set them before your minds in words. That's what the apostle John says at the end of the book, that we couldn't record everything that Jesus did. This is just a few of the snippets. Before he humbled himself, speaking of Jesus, only the angels knew him. After he humbled himself, all nature knew him. You see how His humbling of Himself did not make Him have less, but produced countless benefits, countless deeds of virtue, and made His glory shine forth with greater brightness. God wants for nothing and has need of nothing. Yet, He humbled Himself and produced such great good, increased His household, and extended His kingdom. What are we afraid of losing when we humble ourselves? Do we realize that everything that we have came from someone who humbled himself, Jesus. He humbled himself so that we could have life. He humbled himself so that we could have hope. He emptied himself so that we could have salvation. See, I was reading the verse and it said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I get what blessed is if that's God's hand of anointing and protection and provisions on your life. I get what it means to be poor in spirit to where me is emptied of me. But then it says, for there, speaking of the poor in spirit, is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's everything that truly matters. It's the kingdom of heaven is to where, in two senses, it's where God is in control of your life. It's so awesome. Not only that, but it's the kingdom of God that is coming when Jesus comes back. Which, by the way, a little news flash, Jesus is coming back. So, saw an article a few weeks ago and it says, how long has it been? In other words, some people say, tick tock, God. When he, you said you were coming quickly. Where you at? The Bible says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. God is not constrained by what we think is a long time. Everything that truly matters. Notice the irony here. If we really dig, we pull out the shovel of humility and we say, God, I'm going to dig into this verse. We're talking about poor people. Not American poor. Okay? But people who in the Old Testament, God had to set up the law. Check out, this, this was how poor they were. He told the employers, pay your workers every day because if you don't, they'll go hungry. Think about it. Having to be paid every single day because if you weren't paid, you wouldn't have money to eat that day. Think of the level of poverty, not just one or two here, but for basically a whole class of people who worked the land. People who had nothing. You you see, Caesar and Titus and Herod didn't go to these areas and try to scrounge up votes because you couldn't vote. This was a group of people that were absolutely destitute but yet Jesus said these people are going to inherit a what? A kingdom. We realize that even though a person may be materially poor, if they have Jesus Christ, they have all that matters. And you can take a person who makes $2 a day in sub-Saharan Africa, maybe even less, and you put it compared to an American businessman who has houses in every state of the Union, and, but that person doesn't have Jesus Christ, the man who's making $2 a day, in the end, which honestly is not very long, I am 32 years old, if I preach... Till I'm 65, I've, you see, it's going so fast. And those of you that are a few years more experienced, I was going to say older, but more experienced than me, y'all like that? All right. You, you all tell me the longer it goes, the faster it gets. When we were kids, summer lasted about 15 years. And when you were a working adult, Friday night until Monday morning lasted about two seconds, doesn't it? But Jesus says you will inherit the kingdom of God. James chapter 4 verse 6 says that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's being willing to serve. Question. Are Are you willing to be inconvenienced to serve Jesus? Do you get offended quickly? Because something I found out about my own life is that when I get offended quickly by what people I think people should do, Or should say. You know what that shows? If I can be offended, then I'm big stuff. Think about Jesus' world. A slave, a servant, they had no rights. Why did Paul say that we are bond slaves, bond servants of Jesus Christ? He said that because when we come to Jesus Christ, we realize that we have no riches, that we have no goodness that can satisfy God and His wrath and His holiness. It means that we come to God and say, God, I'm strapped. I got nothing. I'm penniless. It's only, I'm. What must I do to be saved? What, what, What do I have to do? Do I have to be good? Jesus says no. You have to be better. You have to come to me, and I am perfection. And that when you come to God in that way and he, he gives you the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to where Jesus comes and He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And not only that, the way that God has organized His church, His people, is that when you follow Jesus and you get connected to a local body of believers and you get involved in a Bible study and you come and you pray with other believers, what God will do is He will provide people alongside you to help you in your journey so that you're not just rich in a sense of... If I'm going to be in that kingdom one day. A lot of southern gospel songs talk about heaven and that's, that's all good and fine, but we need to be very careful that we don't just want to get to heaven. We want to get to the one that we love. Amen, church? It's not about just wanting to have a day at the park and go to the reinvented Garden of Eden. I want to be with Jesus because He's the one who died for me. He's the one who's helping us along in our journey. And He's the one that if you follow Him, He will surround you with brothers and sisters in Christ. Students, BFFF 10,000 times. He will be your... For those of you that means best friend. BFF, best friend forever. Oh, okay. Write that down. That's what Jesus will be and that's who He is. And we think about... This verse, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom is when you're lifted up, isn't it? But when you are abjectly and totally destitute and poor, you're made low. In order for us to be raised up, we have first to humble ourselves. And I want to talk to the believers for just a few moments. Has there been in your walk with Jesus a slide away from Him? To the things that Jesus calls us to do, to reach out to those who have nothing, to to those who inconvenience us. Has that become a big deal? And if so, it's evidence that we think that we are a big deal. I'm begging you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you know that you've been saved, ask God to examine your heart. We're about to enter into this Last part of the year, ask Him to examine your heart and say, God, is there any wicked way within me? Am I? Do I really think that I'm big stuff? And the way that you can know that is if you get offended easily and if you hold on to that offense long. But if we understand, and I pray God brings all of us to that, back to that place at the foot of the cross today to say, you know what, Father, I brought nothing into this world. I will bring nothing out. It's only because of your love that I'm here. So if you want to teach me a lesson through difficult circumstances, I will say like Job, even though he slay me, I will serve him. We are not the big deal, but Jesus is the big deal. And if you want true enjoyment and to get out of life what God has intended for it, team up with Christ and make much of him.